Hello, my name is John Posh. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Metrosense MRI Safety Talks podcast series. In today's podcast, we'll discuss imaging and COVID-19 in the UK, transitioning back to normalcy. My co-host for this episode is Barbara Nugent. Barbara is an experienced MR and CT radiographer and has worked for the NHS for over 30 years. She founded MRI Safety Matters to champion the need for minimum standards of MRI safety education for the workforce and CT training matters to further knowledge of cross-sectional imaging. To encourage learning through social networking, Barbara also created and administers the UK, UK MRI Safety and UK CT Facebook groups. Barbara advocates that introducing standards in MRI safety knowledge, coupled with testing of that knowledge, is a good way to improve safety in MRI units. Last year, Barbara brought Dr. Emmanuel Canal's first European MRSO MRMD course to the UK, plus the American Board of MRS Safety to administer the first UK modified MRI safety exams for MRI professionals. Following demand, she's bringing Dr. Canal's course and exam administration team back to London in June of next year to create a second wave of MRI safety accredited individuals in the UK and Europe. In collaboration with the UK MRI Special Interest Group, Barbara has helped to develop the first online safety module for staff dealing with MRI anesthetic sessions, introducing the first general anesthetic safety pathway. Barbara continues to volunteer her time with the MRISG to develop a suite of free online MRI safety modules for all MRI roles and delivers MRI safety talks regularly. Barbara recently published an article for the Society of Radiographers Journal, Imaging and Therapy Practice, titled, MRI Infection Control, Optimizing Patient and Staff Safety with a Focus on Outpatient MRI Scanning. Thank you for joining me, Barb. Thank you. Thanks for the invite, John. Let's jump right in. Let's talk about the current state of COVID-19 in the UK. Well, since I last spoke to you, John, which was actually a month ago today, the numbers of infections and admissions and deaths due to COVID-19 have sadly risen rapidly here. At that time, which was the 15th of September 2020, the average number of daily new infections was just less than 4,000. Today, it's almost 19,000. According to the UK government website, the average number of daily deaths, which is over a seven-day rolling average and describes deaths which have occurred where the disease was detected and reported in the last four weeks of the person's life, which a month ago on the 15th of September was 20 deaths. Well, on the 15th of October... The daily number of reported deaths is 138. This brings the reported total number of deaths in the UK, using the criteria described, to over 43,000 now. The number of new cases now suggests that we may be on a second wave of the disease rather than a spike. So many regions are experiencing further restrictions to try to reduce the R number. And how does that translate into hospital admissions? Again, according to the UK Gov website, there's currently just under 5,000 patients in hospital with the infection. Now, that's over five times as many as when we last spoke, but this is still less than at the peak when there were almost 20,000 people in hospital with the disease. The number of patients in ICU, which is reported as the number of positive cases occupying a bed with a ventilator, is again approximately five times more than when, when we last spoke. Just reading it now, and there's 563 patients in ICU. But again, at the peak in April, there were over 3,000 in ICU. Do you have any statistics on the number of healthcare workers who've been affected? Yes, um, sadly, according to the Office for National Statistics in England and Wales, 
Now, they have detailed the number of healthcare workers where the cause of death was reported as involving COVID-19. And the dates they give is between the 9th of March and the 20th of July, where there were just over 300 healthcare, healthcare workers' deaths. Now, over the same time period, about the same number of social workers, 312 social workers died too, and that includes care home workers and other categories of social care providers. In Scotland, there were seven deaths of healthcare workers and 13 deaths of social care workers over the same time period. And I couldn't find specific data on any deaths of healthcare worker deaths um, in Northern Ireland for that time period. Now, it might be worth mentioning that having four different countries in the UK with varying methods of trying to track and trace the virus combined with differing guidelines based on the local infection rates, it must make assessing the complete picture a huge challenge. And I've got huge respect for the statisticians who try to work it all out. But each nation's website provides a huge amount of information and detail on how they arrive at the numbers involved. And the UK got, the UK.gov website is actually excellent for um, detailing you know, cases in, in all sites and all countries. So what sort of testing are they doing? Uh, they do antigen testing, which is the throat and nasal swabs to detect the live virus. But there's also antibody testing on samples of the population going on. This is regularly carried out just to try and assess how prevalent the disease has been in the community. And there's also a trial underway testing no swab saliva samples to see how reliable and practical that might be for assessing community transmission. That's uh, that's that's sobering information, and we hear it so often from so many regions of the world. Tell us a little bit a little bit about your project. Well, like healthcare systems across the world, to increase capacity for potential COVID nineteen cases, many elective, if not elective, if not all elective cases, uh, procedures and scans, they were cancelled or postponed. So this led to MRI units like all other modalities, having to prepare for the resumption of services, knowing that there would be a large waiting list of new and backlogged patients, which which adds, pre- you know, actually adds an awful lot of pressure, especially during an ongoing pandemic. So the need to remain vigilant over infection control has never been greater. But how do we achieve that without compromising safety or efficiency? And what are the specific issues in MRI that need to be addressed? So I wanted to find out what were the established practices out there and, and what else might we need to consider in MRI to try to develop a benchmark of infection control practices that hopefully they could help us in a sustained pandemic like this? Now, <clears throat> from what I could see, there seemed to be varying infection control methods implemented in MRI units, but there was no published workflow suggestions detailing what the best practice might be when scanning out patients. So to shed some light on practices, I asked the MR community to get involved. And with a little investigation, I tried to take the best processes and ideas I could find to try to come up with a list of suggested measures to consider. So with the collaboration of many leading MRI radiographers, some existing infection control strategies were highlighted and suggestions were made for improvements. Now you can find a list of all the professionals who contributed to these measures um, on the MetroSense website. I'll provide all that. Now, this resulted in practical interventions to try which we could actually outline in a typical patient pathway from when that patient, even before that patient arrives for their appointment, to the path they follow within the building to have their scan. There's also an associated detailed table of all the measures to consider. 
Now, this was felt to be quite a valuable project by those involved to try to reduce the risks radiographers face. Now, for those who may not know what a radiographer's job involves, preparing patients for their scan means we always breach the recommended two-metre safety distance. Now, this makes radiographers potentially vulnerable to infection unless every concern is addressed. So, finding appropriate precautions to adopt in an MRI outpatient pathway was considered a useful goal just to try and prevent workplace transmissions. The resource describes generic solutions as well for infection control, which can be and actually are currently used in many settings. And it's all based around government advice. But like any specific workplace pathway, it's always best shaped by the people who work in that setting. So by getting MRI radiographers who understand the risks of the electromagnetic fields and the processes that we you know, are required every day to ensure patient safety, well, this meant that we could describe a typical pathway developed for and by radiographers and specific to scanning MRI outpatients. For example, making a pre-appointment phone call to patients as a first stage of health surveillance. Now, some places do that, but some do not. But by also including some basic MRI screening questions in that call, you could avoid a wasted slot to not only potential COVID concerns you know, of the patient, but maybe MRI safety concerns, such as that implant that you didn't know about and it might have to be investigated further. So these questions, they're unique to, unique to MRI. Other unique concerns for MRI units are the cleaning and disinfection regimes in the scan room that are required. These can be hindered by the limitations which the static magnetic field can, impo sorry, can impose. So we have to find ways of how to solve this, and we've got some solutions which are described too in the table. How to decontaminate a scan room and what respiratory personal protective equipment is safe to wear in the scan room are all considerations that MRI staff would appreciate. The resource suggests steps to consider that would not be possible to place in generic government advice because it's too specialised. Similar to MRI safety concerns, MRI infection control strategies, well, I think, are sometimes developed best by those who appreciate the issues. They do this job day in, day out. And they know the complexities of MRI. So the aim was to provide, ultimately, more, more data on a modality which MRI staff would be best placed to contribute to so that they could help to prevent hospital-acquired infection using their experience and knowledge. Now, anyone reading the measures is always encouraged to undertake a workplace risk assessment first so that they can adopt only those interventions that are needed or are suitable for their particular workplace. It sounds uh, it sounds like those those are pretty comprehensive measures and they they seem applicable throughout the rest of the hospital, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there's as I say it might not be suitable for every workplace, but there's ideas and suggestions in there that, you know, by getting together, we can think about it might suit that place, it might not suit that workplace, but there will be things in there I can guarantee that um, other places may not have thought of and might want to implement. And yeah, there's, there's up, up until the point where they get to the scan room itself, most of these um, interventions are, are genetic and can be used for any modality or any outpatient setting. We're really looking at the patient's pathway through the facility. Some of the measures have already been adopted nationally. But it's worth saying that they were not in place when the resource was originally developed, such as staff and patients now having to wear masks and screening patients for symptoms when they arrive, which 
Although the screening is not mandatory, it's now at least recommended and it's supported by the professional bodies. The pace of change of government advice can also be demonstrated, I think, by the recent recommendation that the use of temperature checks using non-contact thermometers are now considered as not a useful indicator of anyone having a fever because they don't reveal the core body temperature. Now, I had suggested that if temperature checks were a good indicator, that both entrance and exit temperature checks could be taken on staff because ideally you could then, if it was one of the indicators of a COVID, you could then send that, that staff member for an early test. But now I'm not so sure, or in fact, I'm, yeah, with, with the latest advice, using a non-contact type thermometer, temperature checks are not so relevant. What are some of the other measures that you think are required to maintain a safe working environment for scanning outpatients? Well, uh, we've mentioned the screening of everyone who enters. So that would be your patients, visitors and staff every day. You want to find out what's their current state of health in relation to COVID-19 symptoms. Briefly mentioned screening of the patient pre-appointment too, because that can save you a wasted visit and a potential risk. Now, where an exemption is made for mask wearing by a patient, because there will be there will be patients that will not not wear a mask for various reasons. If that patient or that escort um, is not wearing a mask, then anyone dealing with them, any staff member, should also wear eye protection, because um, you know that patient could be exhaling or coughing, and we know that the conjunctiva, the eyes, is a known transmission route for COVID. So, if if that patient is not wearing a mask. And if you're breaching the safe distance, then, you know, you protect your eyes as well. Changing the patient's own mask as well when they arrive is, you know, want to change that to an MR conditional or ideally an MR safe one, because we need to make sure that that scan, you know, that that patient that's coming for the scan has an appropriate mask. We don't know what the mask contains. If it contains metal, that can be a big issue in MRI. And we will cover that a little bit later on. Ideally, weekly testing of staff for COVID-19, well, that would be an ideal if there's sufficient testing capacity because you could then pick up asymptomatic or or pre-symptomatic staff. The resource provides guidance on how best to, or suggests how best to decontaminate the scan room of potential airborne pathogens. Again, I'll mention that a little bit more in detail a bit later. It also provides guidance on how to reduce the risk of cross-contamination in the changing area and how to direct those all-important post-cleaning tasks, sanitising areas the patient may have touched on their path to the scanner. We also suggest, uh, again, more generic, how to change the workflow, splitting teams so that one team can work if the other is quarantined, along with a discussion of various tools, barriers, techniques to ensure that physical distancing can be maintained where possible. The guidance on cleaning and disinfection is also described and we mentioned the difference between cleaning and disinfecting, actually what the difference is, what those terms mean uh, on a practical basis. And finally, we remember that we're trying to get all these measures put in place, but we need time to do that. So it's, it's ensuring that extra time is added to a patient's appointment so that managers have to accept that the number of patients that were scanned in pre-COVID days is now reduced. In many ways, this means managing a manager's expectations so that the pressure on staff is reduced and they are given sufficient time to comply with these essential infection control requirements. So you touched on it briefly when you were talking about changing masks um, with uh, MRI conditional or MRI safe masks, ideally. 
what are your special concerns when it comes to, you know, doing all this in the MRI environment? Well, it's the nature of this modality, the nature of MRI. We've got a large static magnetic field, which which means staff have specific challenges anyway with when dealing with safety on a, a day-to-day basis. So they now got to think about the enhanced infection control measures too, which can all add pressure to the safety concerns generally. Cleaning the scan room. In MRI, it requires specialised equipment. It must be MR safe, but it must be MR conditional. This is generally limited in choice and it's often not not very robust. No floor buffers, for example, could be permitted in to polish the floor um, because this could result in in a buffer being stuck to the magnet. You just have to look on any YouTube videos of MRI safety incidents and you'll see lots and lots of floor buffers accidentally being taken in by uh, cleaning staff and, and they get stuck to the magnets. Most cleaning equipment for MRI needs to be sourced very carefully. We need to ensure that any brush, any bowl, any mop is safe to go near the scanner. To clean the bore without risking putting yourself in the bore and potentially you know, cross-contamination requires a little bit of ingenuity. Now, those in the know will have sourced a non-magnetic type Swiffer mop and attached disinfectant wipes onto it to clean the inside walls of the bore. This isn't standard hospital cleaning equipment. And it's unique to the requirements of an MRI scan room, so it has to be sourced specially. Simple changes to infection control practice can be done, though, such as allocating a specific changing room and a locker for each patient, again, to help uh, direct those post-cleaning tasks. You want to ensure that a single set of scrubs or a gown is provided to the patient to prevent any possible cross-infection risk if there's other linen in that changing area. For example, maybe a cabinet of scrubs or gowns where the patient is asked to get changed. You don't want that to be available. You don't want them to be able to touch any other linen. One thing I particularly like is developing an infection control handover checklist for engineers. Now, engineers regularly come into the department to service equipment or if a piece of equipment is is, is requiring to be looked at. If you have a a handover checklist, which can be easily made, um, it provides evidence that the equipment has been disinfected prior to that engineer receiving it. And when they're handing back the equipment, they can ensure that a similar checklist is provided and received from them to you so that they can describe what have they touched, what equipment now needs to be cleaned that they've, they've actually been, you know, their hands have been on. All these items need to be disinfected again before any equipment would be put back into use. So this, I think, would give the engineer confidence and the staff too that the equipment is safe from contamination. Quite a simple idea, but it, you know, again, can easily be made up by each department. Decontamination of a scan room is a bit more complex, and it's a specific concern in MRI. The bore fan, which is never never switched off when scanning, can push air around the room. Now, if the patient is not wearing a mask because of a dispensation, then any asymptomatic or a presymptomatic patient it could be exhaling pathogens in the scan room. So we need to ensure that we remove this airborne risk. And it might be pragmatic to undertake this in a, you know, after every patient because we don't know who has the virus unless they're tested. The number of air changes performed by the room's ventilation system per hour should be evaluated. We need to ensure, is it sufficient to completely clear the room of the air? Once you know that, it will also determine how long to isolate the room after the forced air changes commence. If that room, if the scan room's ventilation effectiveness is inadequate or it's unclear, you need to think about an alternative means of scan room 
you know, clearing that air. What you could consider is initiating the helium extract circuit to clear the air quickly. And I know some departments do this. Now, this extracts the air externally by pressing that override gas extraction button to force scan room air changes. It is an efficient method to replace the air, but it's not its primary function. Its primary function, of course, is to clear the room of cryogen gases during a quench. So any decision to use this to decontaminate the scan room should only be done following a, a risk-benefit analysis. And that risk-benefit analysis would involve the clinical imaging team, the infection control team, the estates department of the hospital, as well as your local MR safety expert and your scanner manufacturer. But it may well be worth thinking about if, if your, your room ventilation is, is you know, is, you don't know how, how quickly the air is going to be changed or if it's sufficient to, to completely do a, a, an air change after after you know suspected patients yeah it's it's become quite a complicated i mean technologists have always been charged with sort of cleaning the room between patients and even terminal cleans in some in environments where needed but i think we've reached a whole new level of of what the technologists have to be prepared to do and have to really understand about their scan rooms these days mm, i think you're completely right completely right there it's a much more complex and again people who aren't who, who don't work with electromagnetic fields in the MRI scan room, don't, don't realize all the limitations that we have. So t talk about your concerns over um, specifically respiratory PPE in the scan room and, and the complications that that brings. Yes, this is specific to MRI. There are also limitations over the type of respiratory PPE that can be worn. Any metal contained in a, in a mask can be a risk to patients and staff. Currently, no masks, respirators or hoods are currently labelled for MRI safety conditions. Now, I've tabulated and I've classified a list of respiratory PPE, which has been preliminary tested by MR safety experts and radiographers in the scan room. And this will be placed on the website as well. The decision over the type of mask to be worn is usually made by a local risk assessment by the clinical imaging team, local MRSE and your infection control team. Surgical masks, they could contain a metal nose strip, many do. Could be iron, it could be aluminium, or it could be another metal, rendering it rendering it basically MR unsafe. Now if ferrous in the case of iron, the presence of ferrous metal in the static magnetic field incurs the risk of that mask being subject to movement. It's attracted to the magnet. But even if it's non-ferrous, such as aluminium, which is would then considered MR conditional, it could still be subject to movement from Lenz's law near the static magnetic field. So this potentially makes any mask containing any metal unfit for purpose. Now, with the agreement of the infection control team locally, the metal could be removed from a surgical mask, sealing the mask against the face with medical tape instead. A risk assessment of the potential infection risk through potentially a less well-fitting mask over the potential adverse effects caused by the electromagnetic fields on that mask, that all has to be made. Ideally, a metal-free mask with a plastic nose bridge is what you want to use because there's no risks there. Masks with any metal also have the potential to heat up because if you expose them to the transmitted radio frequency fields, that's an energy source and these can heat up if it's metal. So if only masks with metal are procured, again, a risk assessment by your MR safety expert is required to assess if the metal will cause any heating risks or artifact problems for the patients. Any metal should be removed from the mask if the scan exposes that mask to the transmitted RF. For example, 
for examinations involving the head, the neck, the upper chest or the brachial plexus. Even filtering facepiece respirators should be checked for MRI safety conditions that the radiographer wears in case they contain metal. As stated, to help with procuring appropriate masks and respirators, I've collated and classified some testing of masks and respirators. Now, this will be available, but if anyone has tested any others which are not in that table, please get in touch so we can add this. I now have metal-free surgical masks to add to, which again, I think demonstrates how dynamic the situation is with infection control advice and solutions. They're changing all the time and they're getting better all the time. So, yeah, please get in touch so we can, you know, ideally we're wanting to direct procurement departments to source only appropriate PPE for MRI units. I, I love the, the role that MRI safety plays in, in so much of our lives. Um, one of the things that you've said, I think you've mentioned it now twice, is um, the undertaking of a risk assessment. Can you talk more about that? Because, you know, as you know, risk assessment is one of those things that I, I'm really quite uh, interested in and passionate about. Um, because I think it's not something we do enough. We're tasked with and charged with mitigating and managing risk, but no one really talks about how to identify that risk. So can you walk us through that a little more? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I think during a pandemic, <laughs> we must assume that everyone and anyone may have the disease unless unless we know, we know otherwise, unless they're tested. Um, so we all have to perform infection control risk assessments of our own workplaces. And when or if there are any concerns, we must bring that to our employer's attention. Now, any risk assessment, as I said earlier, for radiographers, it must include that two-metre minimum safe distance that we're all instructed to maintain. As the Society of Radiographers state, you only need to ask when you're doing a risk assessment, can you deal with that patient without approaching within two metres of them? If the answer is no, then you need PPE on. And this, the SOR supports not scanning anyone unless appropriate PPE is made available. There's also a need for individual workers to perform a personal risk assessment, as we know now that some people are more vulnerable to the disease. If you're not provided with appropriate PPE, then you should not be getting close to the patients, which means not scanning them. Employers have a legal obligation to you. They have to ensure your safety in the workplace, and they have to ensure a working environment that's safe and without risks to your health. For the term employer, substitute your manager as they have this responsibility. Your manager also has a duty to risk assess the workplace for you. They've got to protect the employee and anyone else within those premises. For example, patients, contractors, visitors. There's lots of legal provisions to ensure that appropriate measures should be implemented to reduce transmission of COVID-19 in the workplace. Managers will always seek to do the right thing. Employees, for their part, must do too, and we must ensure that any PPE or any control measures that our managers or employers provide are always used. Healthcare workers, their lives are just as important as the patients that we look after. If the appropriate PPE is not available, sorry, if the appropriate PPE is not available, the worker has every right to refuse to work in that situation. So there was a lot of controversy earlier on with PPE back in the early days of the the pandemic, people having to source their own PPE. Has that been an issue in the UK at all? I would say no. In the UK, no radiographer would be expected to buy their own PPE. It's the employer's duty to buy such essential equipment for your work. If staff cannot protect themselves, they're a risk to everyone, patients, colleagues, family and friends. So you've talked specifically about a lot of information today, um, a lot of you know complicated scenarios and situations in, in a very challenging environment. 
How confident are you that radiographers can adhere to all these recommendations that you've laid out uh, in order to control the progression of this disease? I think you're right. I think it's a, it's a dynamic situation we're in. There's a lot of pressure on staff. Radiographers are trying to respond to every scenario and every modality using the latest infection control advice available. And, and that, that advice you know, is changing as well. But if we develop specific pathways for each workplace, I feel that's it's essential, but it is time consuming. MRI staff, they're under great pressure. They've got the added complexities that we've already discussed. But MRI radiographers are a very resilient and practical bunch. They're used to dealing with multiple safety issues with every MRI patient. So judging risk is embedded into our practice. Now, given the time to do so, I'm confident that they will ensure infection control measures are a priority, but they've got to be given the time. So I, I believe that the way forward is by developing such pathways for every possible workplace setting and staff should be involved. The more information and input that staff have, the more the pathway will be appropriate for their workplace. It also helps staff to understand and promote, the, you know, and to promote those interventions. Ultimately, working together, sharing best practice, we can all help to keep the infection rate down. So this is an ongoing project. So I welcome feedback, completely welcome feedback on the proposed measures so that we can all keep updated on infection control concerns and we can all learn from each other. Because I think that's the way going forward. It's a dynamic um, situation. Numbers will rise and fall. Um, and, and really, we're just wanting to all have a benchmark of standards to follow and ideas and suggestions that might work for our workplaces. And that was the idea between this, you know, that was the idea behind this resource, just to provide data that wasn't wasn't currently available for that specific workflow of patients, scanning MRI outpatients. Well, and I think to that end, you've done a fantastic job. It, this this information is really, really quite valuable. And, and I, although it's written in the framework of the UK, I think it's applicable universally to uh, you know our profession. So that about does it for us today. Uh, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the MetroSense MRI Safety Talks podcast series. Please watch for future episodes where we will discuss all things MRI safety. We also have an exciting lineup of guests that will be appearing from time to time, so please be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. For additional information, be sure to explore the MetroSense library of MRI webinars and podcasts at www.metrosense.com. As always, all content is free of charge. Official sources of statistics for this podcast were www.coronavirus.data.gov.uk. Additionally, Barber's publication, MRI Infection Control, Optimizing Patient and Staff Safety with a Focus on Outpatient MRI Scanning, will be available as a downloadable link on the MetroSense website. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, John Posh, and I look forward to speaking with you in future episodes of MRI Safety Talks.